next Sunday is Christ the King. But did you know that on the Feast of Christ the King, we also celebrate Diocesan World Youth Day? I know that you've all heard about World Youth Day, but have you heard of Diocesan Youth Day? When St. John Paul II first invited young people to meet him on Palm Sunday in Rome in 1984, he wasn't thinking of a big international gathering. When it happened again in 1985, he instituted it as World Youth Day to be celebrated locally in every diocese around the world. It wasn't an international gathering. That changed in 1987 when the first International World Youth Day took place in Buenos Aires, Argentina. That international gathering takes place every two to three years, but the yearly gathering on Palm Sunday continued every year. Every year there's a World Youth Day theme, and every year the Pope writes a message for World Youth Day, again, to be celebrated on Palm Sunday. That is, until 2020, when the gathering could not take place in Rome because of the pandemic, and so Pope Francis moved it to Christ the King Sunday. Which makes sense, because it was on the Feast of Christ the King in 1985 that Pope John Paul II invited young people to join him in Rome the following Palm Sunday. Christ the King is also the day when we are reminded that Christ is the center, and that is what World Youth Day is about. So, next Sunday, whether you participate in a Diocesan Youth Day event or not, remember the young people of the church and pray that they will keep Christ at the center of their lives. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to another all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro, and with me is Sister Marie Paul Curley. Sister, it's good to be with you again. It's good to be back. Hi, everyone. So I, I like to always start with thinking about kind of what has happened, but I have no idea. Like there's been this this year and the last year had sort of been like a blur. And and I know that we had Halloween, and but it seems like so far away. And, and even our Thanksgiving, and I keep thinking your Thanksgiving is coming up, but that's not even coming up that yet. So lots going on. I don't know why it feels like a blur. I don't know what you're, how is, how are you sister? Is your life a blur? <laughs> life is, yeah, a little bit. Events just seem to kind of merge together and yes. you know, what's beginning and what's ending. I think just maybe feeling like we're in a time of transition kind of blurs things. Yeah, maybe. Culturally and yeah. in many ways. Yes. And and not to say that a time of transition is bad because it can be very good. But yeah, I think we've been in a time of transition for way too long. 20 months, 24, what is it? 20 months now. Um, anyway, today we're going to have Ed Clancy from Aid to the Church in Need in the U.S. Uh, with their new segment titled Where God Helps. And that's going to be in about five minutes. Uh, Ed's going to talk to us about uh, Red Wednesday. Sister, I don't know if you've heard about Red Wednesday. It's a no. it's a yearly event that uh, sponsored by Aid to the Church in Need where they light churches in red. Oh. Red, red to highlight, uh, I, I think it has to do with Christian uh, Christian persecution or with religious freedom. Um, so there are going to be churches all around the, the world, cathedrals like Notre Dame. And I know here in Toronto, St. Michael's Cathedral will be lit in red and there's a mass. So Red Wednesday is coming up. And then oh, there, the Aid to the Church in Need also has a new report on violence against women. So mm-hmm. it's a difficult topic, but it's something that we need to talk about. So Ed Clancy is going to be here in about five minutes to tell us about about those two topics. And then sister, you're on, you're back. You're going to give us the windows to the soul to 
a Netflix series? Yes. And it's not something, it's not a genre that I'm an expert in. So we'll see, hopefully we can discuss it together. <laughs> okay. So a genre, I'm going to guess horror is the genre that you're not uh, well-versed yeah. in. Um, okay. So that's coming up in about 15 minutes, Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. And then in our, in our second half hour, Sister, we're going to be speaking with children's author, Carissa Douglas. Carissa has been on the show many times. She actually lives just up the road from me. Um, she has been writing children's books since the time her children were little. She has 14 children. Um, and now as her children are older, the, the, the novels get a little older. So now she's writing young adult novels. Um, and uh, it's her little Douglings series. Their last name is Douglas. So it's her little Douglings. And she's got a new installment of the, new, of the little Douglings series called The Lair of Illusion. And so Carissa is going to join us to tell us about that. Um, that's in about 25 minutes in our second half hour. And then at the end of the program, we're going to be speaking with a super, super talented singer, songwriter and guitar master, Fred Cacciotti that I met. Actually, I wonder sister, if you would have met him when he was, when you were in Toronto. Uh, I met Fred over 20 years ago when we were preparing for world youth day. And in fact, he, he played with a band, uh, spirit in motion that actually did a lot of the music for some of the main events with Pope John Paul II. Yeah. Um, yes. Fred, I remember I, I didn't meet him, but yeah, he was wonderful. So, so Fred's going to be, he's, he, he's fast. Yeah. He's, he's played with so many famous musicians and been around the block more times than you can count. Um, but he's putting together a website of instrumental music of his own recordings. And he's got everything from classical music to Spanish guitar, rock music, gospel, blues. He's just a very talented guitar player. And so I want to talk to him about his, his website and why he's putting that website together. I guess it's just an excuse to talk to him. So that's going to be in about 40 minutes at the end of the show. We'll be talking with uh, Fred Cacciotti. So I hope that people can stick around for that. If not, you know that you can listen to our show at our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. You can also subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. So sister, how about we start with a song? That sounds great. So Fred Cacciotti, uh, here he is with a song that he wrote inspired by his experience at World Youth Day. It's an instrumental piece called Spirit of Fire from his album, River of Mercy.
That was Fred Cacciotti with Spirit of Fire from his album River of Mercy. And we're going to be speaking with Fred Cacciotti at the end of the program. So I hope that you'll still be around for that. Now it's time for... Where God Helps with Ed Clancy from Aid to the Church in Need, USA. Ed, welcome back to the program. Deacon Pedro, it's wonderful to be with you as always. So, Ed, I was I was a little surprised. I, I know every year Aid to the Church in Need has an event. It's called Red Wednesday, but then I, I I saw that in Canada it's Red Week. What what's happening? <laughs> well, uh, it's a very important topic, and it's very important for us to highlight uh, the situation of persecuted Christians around the world. So, ACN Canada, as well as other countries, have extended the period of time where we highlight the situation of uh, Christians by doing red-themed events. Um, so, for example, in Canada, there will be, right here on this uh, Salt and Light uh, television, and perhaps on the radio, yep. uh, you will have um, you know special events at, in Toronto and Montreal. In Toronto, you will have the Mass at St. Michael's Cathedral, and then there will be a, a vigil after. And then in um, Montreal, you have the uh, largest Marian shrine in the country, um, Yes, Our Lady of the Cape Shrine uh, will be illuminated in red, and also the cathedral will have a special mass. So, for people, so for people that are not familiar with Red Wednesday, what is the what is the purpose or the symbolism or the or the the reasoning why red? What what happens on that day? Well, we in the church use the color red to symbol, symbolize uh, martyrdom, and what we have is many people who die for their faith, and a majority of those persecuted for faith around the world are Christian. So it is a time that we as Christians, as Catholics, can highlight the fact that our brothers and sisters around the world are being persecuted right. for their belief in Jesus Christ. Right. And you mentioned in Canada, it's, it's a week this year, but it's the Wednesday, November 17th. It, are, there, are there events all over the world? Well, it, yeah, and it will be uh, the rest of our offices. Now we have 23 national offices. We'll be focusing on the following week, which is the 24th, okay. uh, which is the actual Red Wednesday. And in fact, on that day, we will be releasing a special report about a really um, important topic that needs to be covered, and that's uh, the persecution and violence against women of the Christian faith around the world. Okay, and yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that. So every, correct me if I'm wrong, but every year, Aid to the Church in Need releases a report on Christian persecution, but this is a different type of report? Well, we, we have, on alternating years, we do one on religious freedom. And then on the odd year, we will do a report on Christian persecution because okay. the relationship between religious freedom and, and persecution against Christians is very inextricably linked. Mm -hmm. And so um, we talk about all faiths uh, every other year. And then on the other years, we talk about what's happening to Christians. And this year, we will be featuring what's happening to women. Uh, in fact, in our last religious freedom report released earlier this year, we uh, found that there's a, there's a terrible uptick, uh, an increase in violence against women and sexual violence. In fact, it's, it's more than just violence. It's actually genocidal in some places where the, 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 the sort of the MO, what's going on behind the scenes is to sully women and to ruin them or to you know, force them to have children of another faith. Uh, and then tie them to that faith regardless of their Christian faith. 
and this is um, this is happening around the world in many places. And our report this year will feature three countries: Egypt, Pakistan, and Nigeria. And there are three countries that have very high uh, incidence of this. And also, unfortunately, uh, it's not being covered by the major media or by you know the world authorities, if you will. So, uh, so those three countries: Pakistan, Egypt, and Nigeria. Uh, presuming that that is where it's worse, or why did you choose to highlight those three countries? It is it is among the worst for sure. Um, for example, Pakistan. In Pakistan, about in 2014, a Christian organization did a survey or a report, and they said that every year 1,000 little girls. I'm talking about little girls, 12 to 15 years old, are abducted, you know, sexually assaulted, and then enslaved and forced into sham marriages. And that's a thousand of them happening a year. Now, a recent report found out that there was more than a thousand in Sindh province, which is the second largest province in Pakistan. Mm. And between 70 and 90% of the victims are Christian, even though uh, in Pakistan, only 2% of the population is Christian. So it's particularly targeting, they're specifically targeting Christian girls. Yes. And in fact, there have been reports of, of price lists been being published among certain communities and putting a higher price on Christian girls. So this report that will be, it'll be released on November 24th on Red Wednesday. Yes. People people can find the report or will be able to find the report on your website, churchinneed.org. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think we need to leave our, our listeners with a, a hopeful message here, Ed. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what maybe Aid to the Church in Need or some of your partner agencies are doing to maybe... Uh, help women or help in these places where this type of violence is, is on the increase? Sure. Uh, I mean, the, the report is called Hear Her Cries. And one of the first things we're doing is to highlight it, to let right. people know that it's happening. Yeah. The other thing, for example, is we work hand in hand with the church in Pakistan to rescue these girls, to mm -hmm. recover their lives, if you will, to give them hope. And in Nigeria, in fact, we just helped sponsor a major center in Maiduguri, the, the, the heartland of Boko Haram, the place where many atrocities have happened. Mm -hmm. And we have a good relationship with Bishop um, Dome there. And he started a center for rehabilita rehabilitating the lives of women and helping them to recover. Because what happens to them, aside from the, the violence that happens to them, then there's the societal effects, yeah. what happens to them after the fact, that leaves a scar that could be lifelong. Mm -hmm. It makes them essentially, un quote unquote, unworthy to be among their yeah, peers. Of course. And this has to be changed. We have to give them hope because they're not unworthy and they, and they do need help and healing. Right. Um, other than funds and prayer, is there anything else that our listeners could do? Oh, yes. Uh, we, we, we have to start advocating. We have to start speaking up at the local level, you know, at the country level to ask our countries to stand up for this uh, or against it, you know, stand up for the, the cause these, these women have. And the other thing is uh, just not to be afraid to tell people because we have to do this as a community. We can't do these as you know, lone voices in the wilderness. We really have to right. work in unison. Yeah, and I guess that's where the report comes in. So the first, in order to be able to talk about it, we need to inform ourselves. Mm -hmm. You guys are giving us the information so that we can have those conversations um, yes. with with everyone we meet. So 
Um, thank you, thank you, thank you for that. I, I was going to say I look forward to reading the report, but actually I'm not looking forward to reading yeah. the report. Um, but it is something that we need to uh, we need to address. Um, so November 24th, churchinneed.org. The report. Hear her cries is the name of the report. Sorry. Hear her yeah. cries, yes. and then that is Red Wednesday around the world. If you're yes. in Canada, though, it'll be the week of November 15th to the 19th, November 17th being the big day. And on that mm -hmm. day, you will be able to watch uh, at least the events in Toronto and in Montreal on Salt and Light Television. You can find out more about that schedule at esselmedia.org. Um, Ed, thank you. Thank oh, you you're very welcome for, for the update this uh, this month. And thank you for the work that you and, and all your your colleagues and all your partner agencies do to uh, to make a difference around the world. Thank you. And, and thank you for giving us an opportunity for people to hear her cries. Thank you. Ed Clancy, he's the director of outreach for Aid to the Church in Need USA. You can find out more about Aid to the Church in Need at their website, churchinneed.org. And in Canada, you can go to acn-canada.org. Coming up is Sister Marie-Paul Curley with Windows to the Soul, so stay tuned. This is David Wong from Critical Mass, and you're listening to Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Salt and Light is now available on Roku and Amazon Fire. You can go to slmedia.org slash slplus to find out how to subscribe. And now it's time for... Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie-Paul Curley who's sitting here patiently dying to talk about her favorite horror series. <laughs> no, I can't, I can't, I can't say it's my favorite anything <laughs> because I watch, I watch horror under constraints. Like there's got to be a pastoral reason to watch horror films <laughs> and television series. I'm not sure if that's true for you, Deacon Pedro. How do you feel about well, horror? I don't know. I'm not a big fan of horror, although I know which series you're going to talk about, and I don't know if I would call it horror, um, but we can talk about that if you want. I, I mean, it's a thriller. I, I just I find that unless they're re really well done, they just get silly. Yes, they can. They can. They're very black and white. Evil yeah. and good is very distinguished. And, and if is... it's not believable, like for me, it needs to be believable and it doesn't it can be supernatural and still be believable. Definitely. I need to be able to suspend my disbelief. And I found with this particular one that we, everybody's wondering, what are they talking about? Um, so maybe we should tell them. We should tell them. We're talking about the Netflix series, which I consider a horror series, but Dick and Pedro's not sure, maybe not, um, called Midnight Mass. And I think we were both drawn to it. Well, actually, I watched it because you mentioned it to me, Dick and yes. Pedro, um, as a possibility for the show. And I was pleasantly surprised by uh, the accuracy of uh, depiction of Catholic life, perhaps more accurate in the 1950s and 60s yeah, it was, um, than it would be today, because uh, it seems like the church was very central to the life yes. of a lot of residents. But maybe we should just sum it up really briefly for those who aren't familiar with it. So it's a, a Netflix I would call it a horror miniseries. It's seven episodes over about an hour or a little over an hour each. Mm -hmm. It's about a remote island off the coast of the United States where for many of the 127 residents who are there, their Catholic faith is very important to them and their lives in great measure revolve around their faith and around their small parish church. But an evil is brought to the island which begins to invade 
they're, they're, it's not so much peaceful because they, they really feel like their island is kind of dying out. It's remote um, fr- from the mainland. Mm-hmm. Um, but the key here is m- much of what in their lives and in, in their faith should have been the source of their faith becomes a portal to evil. Um, it is rated for mature viewers only. Uh, for those who are not into horror, there is plenty of horror and gore and blood mm-hmm. um, and disturbing images and ideas, uh, perhaps more so for a person of faith. Um, and I need to just, uh, why would a sister look watch a horror film or why would anybody of faith watch a horror film? Because I know some sisters would say, oh no, horror, that's just, that's evil. Nobody should watch them. But we have to understand it within the context of the genre of horror films. Um, they have particular conventions. They take what is most ordinary, what is most comfortable, um, and in this case, what is most sacred, and it turns it on its head. That's what a horror film does, um, so that you're horrified that something normal and ordinary mm. actually becomes a source of terror um, or of evil in some cases because it's been corrupted or turned in some way. Um, so uh, in this particular case, because we're dealing with some of the most sacred aspects of our faith um, there as portrayed in the, in the series, I would say that this might be acceptable to some people. I think a lot of people of faith would find it deeply offensive, Yeah. Um, but it, that. it does need to be understood within that, within that yeah. convention of a horror film. Yeah. I did not find it offensive. I started watching it because I, I, I heard about it from someone who who's a film person and she thought it was just an excellent excellent writing and the fact that it's about a priest and a church and so i was curious to watch it and i was engaged i really liked the writing and the way it dealt with some of these uh big questions of life and death and the meaning of life and and coming and going and i mean it deals with addictions issues and, yes. and, 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 and intergenerational relationships. So, and, it, and I do think it's very well-written. It's very, it's, well very, written. It, it's certainly well-crafted in many ways. Yeah. The, the writing, um, I believe, actually, I can't remember if the director also wrote it, but he definitely, I would think so. I think he has, a, stuff. he yeah. has quite a background in the faith in the sense that he was raised Catholic. And I believe I saw somewhere that he was an altar boy himself. He was, yes. And I think you can tell from the way altar servers are portrayed in the, in the series <laughs> yeah. that he was an altar server. Yes. Yeah. I mean, faith really seems a very important part of people's lives and it's an, it's a pretty accurate portrayal of people who have, who have a strong faith with the whole mix of attitudes and personalities that that yeah. brings. I, I felt that the acting also was very solid. Yes. Uh, the um, well done. Um, I felt honestly, Deacon Pedro, I was very drawn to the first couple episodes because I felt that this was one of the most accurate depictions of Catholic life yeah, me too. that I've seen on the screen. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, it was just, you know, even if it felt a bit outdated and more true to maybe an earlier decade. Um, I also really liked your point about the dialogue. I was going to raise that. They talk about some very deep issues in a very accessible way. They talk about death, characters with faith and without faith talk about death, mysteries of faith, the problem of evil, yeah. which isn't answered real well by the priest, I have to say. Um, but, you know, the problem of evil is that's, we could do 
Yes. You know, a, a college course on the problem of evil and still not get close. You know, how could God be good and allow the, the suffering of the innocent and the evils in the world? And there's yeah. there's lots of places to to find some resources for that and to talk about it. Um, but it ultimately it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. And the biggest the best approach to that mystery is realizing that Jesus Christ came to save us. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the things that's really missing from the series is that sense of a personal God and the sense of Jesus Christ um, being key to the faith of the people um, and the life of the church. Um, So the elements of faith are presented in an externally accurate way, especially at the beginning of the series, but not in a personal way. So it's a very so the Eucharist isn't talked about as the real presence. No. Although there's definitely a sense of of reverence initially. Um, towards receiving communion. Um, I don't want to do any spoilers. I will say credibility was a huge problem. I mean, it's pretty, anybody who's watched horror films or some, you know, some with some aspects of supernatural elements um, would probably be able to guess what's going to happen pretty early on in the series. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does stretch credibility that um, one of the characters who has great faith, and I won't say who it is, um, can see what is so evidently a source of evil and becomes a portal of evil for the island and potentially for the whole world, can see a, something that's so evil as perhaps good, as good, and advocates for it. Right. Um, I also was so disappointed that some of the characters that had faith um, weren't didn't express it well. I'm, I'm particularly thinking of the aspect of the conversations about death um, one of the conversations was great, um, but then it doesn't get carried through to yes. the end of the series. Um, yes. I also, honestly, as a person of faith, as a Catholic, I found it very difficult to uh, look at the portrayal of the Eucharist later on in the series. I found right. that really, really difficult. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if you want to speak to that at all. Um, well, I, 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 I think that the the our listeners can 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 decide whether they want what what I'd say because it's just the little time that we have left that maybe what would you suggest if someone does want to watch it what sorts of things other than what you've said already that they should keep in mind so that they don't because I was not offended I know that it's a film I know people like that or some people like that and and I did a so I there were some things that I was able to take that I, that I thought was positive and, and whatever wasn't, I don't have to take it. Yeah. I mean, I think that if, if you're drawn to these two film and to a deeper look at some of these mysterious aspects of the faith, and you're okay with weird, supernatural, superstitious um, mm-hmm. um, happenings along with depictions of the faith, then this might be an interesting series for, for a viewer to watch. Um it, it, and and what can you do afterwards? Renew your own faith. Like think mm-hmm. about what what in the series was really helpful to you in in seeing how you can articulate your faith to people today, especially to non-believers, yeah. which is a big emphasis in the in the series. In the series. But then also, how can you renew your faith if you find some of the images disturbing? Can you? bring that to the Lord and make acts of special love and reverence and reparation to Jesus in the most Holy Eucharist. Can we um, 
even the use of music. I mean, the hymns were absolutely beautifully sung. Um, can you take that one of the words of some of those hymns and really pray with them um, and, and offer reparation in, in case the series could do harm or confuse some Catholics? Because ultimately, although grace wins out in the lives of some of the characters very powerfully, the portrayal is not that powerful, I didn't right. feel. And grace doesn't seem to win out even in some characters of goodwill in the series. Yeah. And I find that very problematic, uh, humanistic and lacking. You know, it's not, it's not a Catholic series. Yeah, it, no, it's it, not. And you can tell, you can tell that even if the author or the director was brought up Catholic, clearly he does not have that personal relationship with Christ or with the church. Um, and because otherwise we'd be able to tell, we have to leave it there, sister. Um, oh, yes. But thank you. Midnight mass on Netflix. If anybody wants to watch this, watch it, write us, let us know what you think. Let us know what you think. Yeah, we'd love yeah, to hear from absolutely. you. Absolutely. So thank you, Sister Marie Paul. Good to see you again. Sister Marie Paul Curley is with the Congregation of the Daughters of St. Paul, and you can read her blog at windows2thesoul.wordpress.com, and you can also follow her at Sister M. Paul. Coming up in our second half hour, author Carissa Douglas tells us about the new installment in the Little Douglings series, and we meet singer-songwriter and guitar master Fred Cacciotti, so don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Carissa Douglas and her husband Patrick have 14 children, and as the children were growing up. In order to help them learn about the faith, Carissa began telling them and writing stories. This has evolved into The Little Duglings, a series of adventure books based on the children. Last time Carissa was here on the program, she told us about the first one of the young adult novels, because some of the children are now adolescents. It's titled The Mystic Informant, and it was about it's a book about the battle of good and evil featuring St. Padre Pio. Now, the second book is out. It's called Lair of Illusion, which tells an adventure with the six eldest kids. And St. John Henry Newman guides them from the shadows and illusions into the truth. It's such a fun read. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Carissa Douglas. Carissa, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Hi, it's great to be here. It is. So tell us quickly, what, what is Lair of Illusion about? Okay, so Lair of Illusion takes all the amazing kind of supernatural, but um, very natural within our faith aspects, um, the tools and gifts of the spirit. And basically, it, um, God selects a group of children, and he gives them a mission. And this mission, on this mission, they'll be able to access a lot of these spiritual tools, but almost in a visual way, in a way that it's tangible, that they can, they can see the fruits of all their prayers. And they'll be joined by St. John Henry Newman, as you mentioned, and he will offer them the insight needed to accomplish their mission. And this one, this book is really interesting because it's a mystery. You're not quite sure who is causing havoc, who has a malicious dark plan. So they're not exactly sure who they're up against. Um, but then also they realize they're going to be pulled into a spiritual world where they will have to actually battle their way through to try yeah. to rescue. 
Yeah. So it, it gets really. I was going to say it, it got a little. So yes, yeah, a kind of a little sort of fantasy. I mean, there's a little sort of fan, fantastical there element is. there. Um, yeah. I, I have some more questions about about the story, but can you remind us? Uh, how do you write these books? Do you do? Are the children helping you write them? What is that process like? So um, I I always feel like I'm at the complete um, grace of the Holy Spirit, because I'm the type of writer who just begins writing, not sure where we're going. Mm -hmm. And, and I take my kids mm -hmm. along on the journey. So I have this really this built-in set of beta readers because um, yeah. I'll write a chapter and then they'll all come around and say, have you finished the chapter? And I say, okay, let's read it. So I'll read it and I'll gauge kind of their reactions to it, which is interesting because they usually it's a great thing because they're able to affirm whether or not this is exciting enough or good enough. Right. Um, sometimes it means disapproving too. Like um, I think the first book, Mystic Informant, it had a totally different ending because one day one of my daughters came in and she was teary eyed. She was crying and she said, it's a good book. She's like, it's a good ending. She's like, but it's just, there's a sad element and I don't want that to happen. And I was like, no, but it's good. Can you see the good that's coming from it? And she's like, yeah, but no, it's, I don't oh. like it. Can you change it? And so I had to change the ending because wow. she was really impacted. And I, I was kind of worried about maybe the other little readers out there who might be like, this is a little bit too much. And so, so they are very much a part of it in terms of their feedback. And I, I do listen to them, do but they give, it works really well. Do they give you suggestions as to like what they think would happen? Or, I mean, you're writing about them. So they might say, well, I would never do that. Or Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the characters are fairly true to them. And, and yeah. um, there's, there's one time where one of my daughters was like, you always, you always get me to be impulsive. And she's like, I'd like to show a little bit of reserve. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I think we can work that in. So like, it's, it's a really different process probably for most writers. And because um, I am an illustrator too, right. sometimes, sometimes it actually starts with an illustration and, and I find the story there, which okay. is it's also very interesting. Now, now you said that you you start writing not knowing where it's going to go, but you must have an idea of what at least the theme is. I mean, the mm -hmm. first the first book was about the battle between good and evil. This one's about finding the truth. So, so how did you come up with with a theme? Is that something you also talk to some of your kids about? Um, it's really a theme that's often just put on my heart. Like I knew, okay. I, and also it's a perception of what's going on in, in society too, that sometimes it's a, it's something that's kind of been, that I've been wrestling with. And, and I know that we're supposed to face a certain particular evil. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because I think the missions that the, the children are sent on oftentimes reflect a reality that's happening in the greater yeah. world. And give an example of that. So for Mystic Informant, um, I was really pressed um, with the, I guess the, uh, I want to say the battle against um, the family and against the culture of life. And, and I felt like sometimes I encountered that darkness and, and I thought, it would be really great to help children have, I guess, a story where they're able to stand up to that darkness and to, to represent and to fight for life. And so it was, uh, I didn't know who the villain was when I started. I didn't know um, right. who was behind everything, but I knew that there was something there. And I think when I finished writing it, um, 
that the darkness that they face is is the reality that's out there right now. So I think some of my kids say the stories are, I mean, they're a little bit scary. And I think what makes them so scary is the fact that, you know, there's an awareness that there is this good and evil out there. And there, it, there are certain forces that, especially Catholic families, are facing and fighting against. Yeah, interesting. Um, I, I love the idea that every story uh, has a, features a saint. So how do you come up with a saint? I mean, obviously, it's a saint that has to do yep. something with the theme. But how do you come up with this? How did you come up with St. John Henry Newman? So it's funny because I sometimes start out thinking it's going to be one saint. Um, and I try to get to know that saint, really? but then for some reason I can't connect with them. Really? And I'm like, maybe it's not time for that saint. Interesting. And so I, when I started with layer of illusion, I think I was going to be starting with um, uh, St. Jose Maria Scriba, I thought would be a okay. wonderful character. So I was reading about him and trying to get to know him, but I just, it was almost like everything kept saying not yet. And then at the same time, um, I remember going to, I think it was the Cardinals dinner and uh, <laughs> Car our Cardinal um, just loves, he absolutely yes, he does. adores John Henry Newman. So yeah, he he's does. Speaking, and he was talking about this, this idea of like stepping out, you know, into the darkness and not being able to see except for the one step ahead of you. And I had this, all of a sudden I saw all the characters in this place and there was fog and everything was going on. And I'm like, that's I, it. I think St. John Henry Newman is, is asking to, to be the saint oh, for this. I love that. And it was amazing. So I find that sometimes saints try to reach out to you mm -hmm. <laughs> and, it, um, and it felt like that, that uh, was happening. All, all of a sudden his icon would appear. Somebody gave me a gift. Yeah, I love that. I, I love that. I love yeah. that idea that a saint, knew, a saint wants to be in your story. That's great. Right. <laughs> and a saint wants to kind of meet you and they want to actually get to know you. And, yeah. and I really felt like that happened. It was everywhere. Everywhere I looked, somebody, you know, gave a, a quote from him or, or all of yeah. a sudden I read something and, and I, I felt like, okay, this is a kindred spirit. This is somebody yeah. I want to get to know. Yeah. Um, you, are you already working on the next book? I am. <laughs> and uh, she's a great saint. It's finally, it's a girl. A woman. Oh, yes. Good. This one is, I think I read a quote from her and, and I felt so connected to her. The quote was, the reader must have patience with me as I have with myself when writing about things of which I know nothing. For really, I sometimes take up my paper like a perfect fool with no idea what to say or how to begin. I'm not meant for writing. I have neither the health or the wit for it. And oh that actually gosh. great writer, St. Teresa of Avila. Yeah, I was going to ask if it was St. Yeah. Teresa of Avila. <laughs> and I, yeah. That's great. I love her. We get each other. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she's good. Fun. She's a great feisty character. Excellent. And um, I started reading her, um, The Interior Castle. And so because the books always compose of kind of two dimensions, they compose of, they're composed of the real world of a natural kind of, I shouldn't say real world, yeah. our world that we're aware of. The physical and world. Also, um, they're able to enter a spiritual world in a physical way. And yeah. so for this one, the interior castle might just be the perfect destination. Okay. I like that. Don't say any more. Yeah. We want people to, to have expe expectations. Um, There's and a lot more going on there. Hopefully so. next year, next year we can have you back. Carissa, thank you so much. Uh, I'm very excited. Always fun to read about uh, your children's adventures. And uh, thank you for sharing uh, a little bit about the process with us today. Thanks for having me. This is great. 
Carissa Douglas is the author of the Little Douglings book series. The latest book is Lair of Illusion, published by Scepter Publishers. And you can find out more and purchase the books at littledouglings.com. And to listen to the full interview, in case you missed part of it, go to slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now is Fred Cacciotti with Dancing in the Light from his album, River of Mercy. Fred Cacciotti with Dancing in the Light from his album River of Mercy. Fred Cacciotti has been playing guitar all his life. In high school, he played with a band called The Beasties and then played with the rock band Taxi for many, many years and then played with the band Homestead. I met Fred a bit over 20 years ago as we were preparing for World Youth Day 2002. Fred led a group called Spirit in Motion, and they played for a few of the main events with Pope John Paul II. Inspired by that occasion, Fred wrote two songs that we already heard, Spirit of Fire and Dancing in the Light. Dancing in the Light received the Gospel Music Association of Canada Instrumental Song of the Year Award. Now, Fred is working on a new website that will feature all his instrumental tracks, gospel, blues, Celtic, jazz, classical... And so it was a good excuse to have him on the program. And so I spoke with Fred Cacciotti on the phone earlier this week. Fred, it's so good to have you on the Salt and Light Hour. Welcome. And I am glad to be here, Pedro. It's so I can't believe it's been almost 20 years. We're not that old, are we? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm young in spirit. In you my are. mind, I'm 25, but some mornings I, I'm a lot older than that. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you... Um, Growing up, I know that you were already playing uh, with a rock band in high school. Did you did you want to grow up to be a rock musician? 
I sure did. In fact, in those days, I wanted to be a rock star, uh-huh. not just a rock musician. And uh, I, every chance I had, I had my guitar hidden under my bed. And when all the other oh, yeah. kids were playing uh, football and baseball and all the rest of the hockey, I was playing my guitar. So that was my only thing I dreamt about. So did you, I know you took guitar lessons. Was that something that your parents kind of made you do or did you want to play guitar? I wanted to do it because I wanted to be the best. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, and you were pretty good. You were described as the, what was it? The the best kept, the best get lead guitar, rock guitar player that, that <laughs> of all time in 1968? What was it? Yeah, the actual wording, it was in 1969. At that time, the Toronto Telegram was in competition with the Toronto Star. And the lead rock critic, Richie York, described me when I was in taxi as the greatest undiscovered rock guitarist of all time that's wonderful look at you and that was i mean you're still i keep i always talk about fred cacciotti the guitar master because when i first heard you play you were and it was a celtic tune that i don't i don't know how fast your fingers were moving i don't even know it was just like like a blur but it was so phenomenal and then to find out that you were just as as capable of whether it was classic kind of Spanish guitar or rock. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. Did you, did you, I mean, you, you have such a, uh, can I say a, a, a accomplished musical career? Um, did, did, did you find that it was difficult to maintain? Cause you were Catholic all, all along. To and it was very faith? difficult because all the other fellows in the group, we're all going out and having a great time. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, I, because of my upbringing, was not like that and therefore I stood to how I was brought up as a Catholic and uh, my wife is Catholic as well. We've been yeah. married 51 years if you hey, can believe congratulations. that. Congratulations. So, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, uh, and you know what? Uh, I got to meet some of the greatest artists in the world in only five years that I was in, in the professional rock business mm-hmm. and most of those people were right down to earth. They didn't have, because yeah. in those days it was stupid to get autographs. So nobody got autographs. We just <laughs> had a good time. You know, we played together, we jammed together, we had a great time. And, and I'll tell you, one thing that you have to mention is that when, if people want to go to the website, uh, there's a new kind. It's not new. It's old. It was brought out in 1930 mm. by by uh, his by name of uh, Django Reinhardt. It's called Gypsy Jazz, yeah. and it is by far the greatest music I have ever heard in my life. Like for int- intricate uh, uh, passages, you, you'd never heard anything like it. No, so, it, so it's it, unbelievable. It's like a, a a musical genre, maybe early early fusion before anybody was talking about musical fusion. I'm, I'm telling you, Fredro, if you uh, listen to that that music, you won't listen to anything else. That's all I listen. Oh, to. Oh, okay. I look forward to that, and we're gonna we're gonna get to talk about the new website in a little bit. But I wanted to know. Who 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 would you say is like the best or most amazing uh, musician that you ever got to play with? That's a good question. That really is. Um, you know what? I never. Uh, how can I say this? I think because I loved blues so much in mm-hmm. those days, and uh, my the best guitar I ever purchased in my life was stolen. Oh. And I love blues music so much. I think BB uh, King. 
you oh. know, in terms of blues guitar, because I, I mean, unbelievable. We we actually played with him at oh um, at Massey Hall, wow. which, which, as you know, is just yes. it's just coming back. I think the the person that played it the most is Gordon Lightfoot, I believe, and I think he's even coming <laughs> back and doing another show there. But we got to play there, and I'm yeah. telling you, that has got to be the best sound I have ever heard in my life. I don't know what it is, if it's the wood or how they've got it. It's a great, great venue, Massey Hall. Yes. Wow. And you got to play with B.B. King. That's amazing. What an experience. Definitely. And then you got to play, then fast forward, I don't know how many years, in 2002, you got to play for John Paul II. Man, that was the best experience I've ever had in my life, Pedro, because I admired the man so much. Uh, the man, now he's a saint, God saint, bless him. Yes. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, to have that privilege to be there, and you know that you were there, yes. and you were you were responsible for a lot of the stuff that was going on. So both of us went through an incredible experience, and the reason that I was so inspired to write Dancing in the Light and Spirit of Fire, yes. I saw all those young people from all over the world praising God, you know, and it, it inspired me so much. I had to write something to show that, you know, people could come and, and be together and praise God. Yeah, wonderful. And it's it, it it it's it's amazing that it inspired you that experience to go and then write something. And and I'm I'm intrigued because you wrote these are instrumental pieces. You think that it would have inspired you with words, but it didn't. It inspired you with 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 music and rhythm and you know the reason why pedro the reason was when i looked out across and it was, you know there was like between 800 yeah. and a million 800,000 800, million, people, yeah. million people i have no idea i don't know what the exact count was but yeah when they swayed to, you know they were swaying back yeah. and forth you know to the music etc that required some type of a, a really bright instrumental piece uh -huh. and i chose the classical guitar yeah. for for that one dancing in the light and here's the big one the canada um gospel music association yes. award, awarded me with instrumental song of the year for dancing in the light that was in 2006 yeah i remember and i i know there's been other catholic artists i think critical mascot and a covenant award is well, but there were some other artists, not many Catholic artists that, that won no. Covenant Awards, but I was the first, I believe, no, I could be wrong, the first uh, Catholic uh, instrumentalist to ever win I think Instrumental right. Song of the Year. I, I, I don't know. I think you're right. And no, it's possible. But and uh, yeah, I remember that. So the Covenant Awards are the Canadian Gospel Music Awards. Um, I know, I know, it was a phenomenal experience. Uh, World Youth Day. I know we could we could talk hours and hours just on on those experiences. Um, but tell me a little bit in the little time that we have. Tell me a little bit about the new website and why you felt. I mean, you have all these recordings. Why did you want to put kind of put them together in a website? Okay, I'm going to try to get this as short as I possibly can. I'm going to have a lot of time. Yeah. Anyhow, so what happened was about a year ago, and, and this was diagnosed about two years ago. I've got CPPD, which is which is basically calcium buildup on the joints of my hands. So I haven't played guitar for a whole year. 
up until about two months ago, I started playing again. And what happens is it stops your fingers from bending. Oh so that gosh. means that I couldn't play anymore. So I said, what am I going to do with myself? I said, I know. I will build, not myself, but I'm going to get someone to build a website. And I'm going to do it so that all the money, if people like the music that they hear, can donate whatever they want to Covenant House. Because Covenant House, because young people, just like world youth, they have always been very dear to me. And that there's so many street kids living on the streets of Toronto mm. that need help. And Covenant House has been there for over 50 years, yep. helping them with food, shelter, clothing, uh, you know, educational programs. And some of them are, are trafficked and sexually abused. So I want people to come to the website, listen to the music, and donate so, so Covenant House can do their job and help these young kids. And the average age of these kids is 17. Yes. So it's not like, you know... It's a horrible thing, but a lot of them sleeping in the streets. I mean, it's not a good thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's wonderful. So you're sharing not only, I mean, so you're not just sharing your music, but you're doing it for a cause to support Covenant House. The primary purpose was to raise money for Covenant House. The secondary purpose was so I'd have a place to play the music I could finally have a chance to play because you know and I know Pedro in the Catholic Church there are rules yeah <laughs> you, know, you can only play yeah, that's you right. know, a certain way right that's so I mean right. if I got up there and played gypsy jazz they'd knock me off the altar right that's There's right no way. that's right I can um, do that we're gonna Fred we're gonna end the we're gonna end the show with a song that you were very particular about us we need to end the show playing woman it's not a song that you could play at church um but it but it really show it really shows off your 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 skill uh in on the electric guitar as a lead rock musician. Tell, tell us oh, about that song. By the way, woman, woman is Bill King's wife. So I don't <laughs> okay. want to have any think, thinking there, this is, you know, one of these affairs going on here. No, he's singing to his wife. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to end it with that song. Fred, it's been so great connecting with you. I'm really excited about listening to all the music, particularly the gypsy jazz. Um, and uh, that will be coming in the next months and years. Believe me. Exactly. So I'll, I'll let everybody everybody know what uh, the website address is, uh, where they can go and support you and support Covenant House. Fred, thank you so much and God bless. And God bless you. That was a conversation I had with Fred Cacciati on the phone earlier this week. You can find out more about Fred at the website that he's creating, fredcacciati-guitarist.com. And Cacciotti is C-A-C-C-I-O-T-T-I. I'm going to put that link on our site, slmedia.org, so you can find it easily. And if you want to listen to this interview again or to hear the rest of the program, go to slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now to take us out is Fred Cacciotti playing lead guitar on that song that he mentioned, Woman, by Bill King from the album Homestead.
listening to Fred Cacciotti playing lead guitar on Woman by Bill King from the album Homestead of the band of the same name. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can listen to the Salt and Light Hour podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can also listen to every single program that we have ever made on our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. You can find me, Deacon Pedro, on your social media, and you can email me, pedro, at slmedia.org. Next week, we'll be meeting singer-songwriter Katie Curtis, and we're going to be speaking with another author, Berta Byrne, about her new novel, Encounters with the Sacred. It's a beautiful novel that deals with coming of age, faith, and intergenerational connections. And so I hope that you can join us for that. Thank you for being with us today. Continue to pray for each other and take care of each other. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.